Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Michael Rand of the Star Tribune here at U- uh, TCO uh, Performance Center, not U.S. Bank Stadium, uh, where we are setting up for the Vikings to head to London, cross the pond to take on the New Orleans Saints. They're going to leave Thursday night and have just a 60-hour trip over there to play the New Orleans Saints on Sunday at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, Mike, it's about the quickest vacation or business trip, I guess. Business trip. They call it a business yeah. trip. <laughs> the quickest kind of trip that they could possibly take over there. We heard from um, Tyler Williams, their new head athletic trainer, talking about just the reasoning behind it uh, and why they're trying to make such a quick trip. Basically, they're going to go over there and just not acclimate at all to the time change and try to push through it and play and do that whole trip in just 60 hours. We'll end up previewing that game. We'll answer your questions that you sent us on Twitter, um, Vikings-related questions about this game. Uh, We'll talk about some of the uh, other storylines surrounding the Vikings heading into this one, including some injury updates. Um, But first and foremost, the Vikings are going to be making this trip um, with their injured guys. Dalvin Cook's making the trip. Sidarius Smith is making the trip. He's got that leg injury. Um, And like I said, they're going to try and do it basically arriving Friday morning at what will be... I believe around 1, 1.30 a.m. local time, uh, hitting the ground right away, getting into some weight room stuff to try and wake up and basically stay up Friday into that trip. Um, uh, how successful have you, Mike, been just personally at, at pushing through that kind of jet lag? It's not easy. I, like, I wouldn't – if I was – I've never been to London. I've been to plenty of other places. I don't think I would do – london in 60 hours if i was going to go to london but this is different this is a like we said this is a business trip not a personal trip so and i'm not going on this trip but um like i remember like we flew my wife and i went to um italy like a long time ago and it was like like was back when we had like no money or like not as you know a little bit less money, early career kind of times where it's like we're going to find the cheapest possible flight, not the most convenient possible flight. So we had like two, three connections. We like connected through like Spain in the middle of the night. So I like the like fly time was like probably like a lot of time in the air. Like by the time we got there, we we're just like wrecked. Like these guys are probably going to have a more comfortable flight than we did. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say that. Yeah. Uh, but even like flying into Paris when we went to Paris, like in the early, like maybe 10, 12 years ago was like, we got there and it was like 7:30 a.m. Paris time, and we just kind of tried to tried to push through it. And you're like, you're pretty tired. Like your body is just like, I don't know if it's it's like a combination of adjusting to the time and just adjusting to when you fly that far. Like just weird things happen to your body. So, <laughs> but like the Vikings players talking today, like you know, like some of these guys can just sleep way better than we can. They just like have this uncanny ability. Like they're just they're just out. And if they, if you can sleep on the plane i think that probably is a game changer i just can't do that so and i suppose and yeah locker rooms like any you know cross section of society you're gonna have people who can sleep well some people that can't i talked to steve jordan the former vikings tight end and, and father of cam jordan the saints uh star defender he's going over for the game and i'm doing a story just on you know playing in london over the years in the nfl and the vikings from the first game over there in 1983 when the vikings had the first uh international game in london for the nfl in a preseason game over there that Steve Jordan was a part of. And Steve talked about how they did the exact same thing the Vikings are doing this time. They left on a Thursday night, landed early on a Friday. Bud Grant had them practice 
right away the next morning and Steve said I fell asleep on the practice field. Oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> he said, yeah. He said I couldn't do it. I said I tried to sleep on the plane, I couldn't and I get out there and he said we get into stretching and as soon as you sit down to stretch, I just passed out. <laughs> and so that's one of those things that they'll be yeah, fighting. They will. And it, I think um athletic medicine and sleep science has probably come a little ways in those 40 intervening years or almost 40 intervening years. But yeah, it's like nobody really knows exactly what the right thing is. And I think what's interesting is I think they're doing this as much for this game as they are for week five, right? Like they don't want to be like, they don't want to go over like the Saints win. The Saints left Monday night, right? And so they they get there, you know, what's Tuesday. They've been practicing there now. And they have a bye after They this have a bye after yeah, this. So that makes yeah. all the difference in the world. Like that makes sense why they're doing it. But the Vikings, like they have to play the Bears the next week after this. Like the benefit to them is that this would typically be a road game, so you know you, you sacrifice that for the you know for the for the benefit of you know having one fewer true road game. But it, they do have to think about that. Like coming back, then you don't want to have to completely reacclimate again. I think they're guys hoping for just like one kind of one kind of crummy one crummy day, and then you're you're hopefully good, and then kind of getting getting on with it. But I, I don't I don't know if there's a perfect. Um, right or wrong answer to this yeah that's a good point though about the vikings not having that bye week which talking to people within the the team whether it's o'connell or um, members of their um, front office and, and operations standpoint they prefer this they prefer not having the bye right away and at least pushing it a couple weeks down the road they got it in week seven because they would like to have it later in the season as possible um but they, yeah the Coming back from it too, they got to be ready to go right away and not have to go through another two or three day reacclimation period of okay, now let's get right back on our sleep schedule to play the Bears at US Bank Stadium right away the following week. Um, well, with them going over there, let's just focus on the, the team they're playing and talk about Sunday because they're going to be playing a New Orleans Saints team that is a little down right now. They're one and two, I believe. Jameis Winston's got four reportedly four fractured vertebrae in his, his lower back. Uh, they just lost three receivers to injury in their last game, though it sounds like a couple of them are, are potentially ready to come back. But um, it seems like they're catching the Saints at a good time, if, if you're going to catch that team at, at any good time throughout this year, which which is good for Minnesota. Because if you looked at Philadelphia, it didn't seem like you were catching them two weeks ago at the right time. No, and the Saints, like even before these injuries were cropping up, were not – having much offensive success, right? Like James Winston's been kind of up and down. He's, they haven't been moving the ball much. Um, so I don't know how much, I mean, it's obviously something gained if you don't have, if you're not playing a team's number one quarterback, if, if that is what indeed happens, but you know, you, you never know. But I think what will be most striking about this game is the saints present a defensive challenge. And if you're thinking about the early part of this schedule and, you know, they've probably played some pretty good defense. I think we're seeing the Packers have a pretty good defense, even though the, the Vikings were able to move the ball and score some points um, in, in week one, the Packers have, you know, shut them down to a certain degree in the second half of that game. And certainly in the last two weeks, um, I think Detroit's defense isn't too bad. I think, you know, they, they certainly had the teams they're playing have the ability to shut them down in certain ways. And then the saints present with, a pretty good run defense and a physical corner who they're going to have to contend with, with, with Marshawn Lattimore. Yeah, that's going to be a tough test for them. And this Saints defense has a lot of continuity too on it. Guys who have played together for quite a while, whether it's Cameron Jordan, Demario Davis, uh, the really good middle linebacker for them, uh, Marshawn Lattimore out on the outside, as you talked about, that's probably the strength of this team is the defense. And so it wouldn't surprise me if, if the Vikings go into this with a game plan of, even though Dalvin Cook's hurt, try to run the ball and try to control it a little bit, knowing that the Saints are probably going to make a mistake 
uh, at some point. The Saints actually lead the NFL in turnovers. They lead the NFL in turnover differential and having the worst one, I should say, at, at minus six. Um, Alvin Kamara fumbled right out of the gate last week. It turned into a, a Carolina Panthers touchdown or fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, this team, even its stars, have made some mistakes and aren't playing very well right now on offense in terms of just giving the ball up. So if you're the Vikings, you're probably thinking, hey, Alexander Madison, get him and Cook maybe some split touches if Cook is ready to play by then. If not, lean on Madison like you would with Cook and get him 20-plus touches um, and try to take the pressure off Kirk and Jefferson and that whole connection that right now just doesn't seem to be firing on all, on all cylinders. Yeah, and I think that's a good strategy. I also think it's a little bit dangerous sometimes to rely on the opponent to continue to turn the ball over. Like if the Saints have been in these games, even though they have this kind of wild turnover differential, it probably says they've got some talent, they've got some good players. You don't want to just go in saying, well, we'll get our, we'll get our two or three turnovers and then we'll be fine. Like they, there's some things this team just kind of needs to clean up and we'll get into that in a little bit, I think. But I, I think that the Detroit game – the way it finished with you know them making those three or four plays they had to make to win the game, getting the defensive stop, getting Detroit to, you know, getting them into that kind of no man's land where, you know, I think Dan Campbell was like rightly criticized for the, the decision they ultimately made, but there wasn't one like perfect thing you could do there. I think going forward is probably still mathematically and in the game flow the best thing to do. That's that's kind of what they've been doing all game. You get four yards, the game is over. Like even if you make the field goal, the game's not over at that point. The Vikings can still score a touchdown but you know they, they get off the field they get to the point where they at least have a chance to win and they do win but that papers over sometimes some of the things that you saw along the way and you know again I think I talked about this earlier this week on daily delivery it's like I, I watch these games now thinking of the narrative almost more than I think about like wins and losses or like who's doing what and it's like for like 85 to 90 percent of that game the narrative was going to be they're one and two. They just lost to the Lions, and they did not look good doing it. So I, I think you know some of the things that didn't look good in that game are still issues, even if they won that game. What are some of those things? Like what sticks out to you most in terms of you know a concerning aspect about a two and one Vikings team? I mean, the two biggest things to me were you know one until really that last drive, there didn't seem to be much consistency or explosiveness of their playmakers beyond Justin Jefferson. They, Justin Jefferson. They just didn't seem like they had a whole lot going on offense really since halftime of the Green Bay game. I mean, let's think about it. They, I think they were up 17-0 at halftime of that game. They get seven points the rest of that game, seven points against the Eagles, 14 points through three quarters against Detroit. Like, that's 28 points in nine quarters. Uh, they just were not firing there. And so, you know, K.J. Osborne getting those two big plays, them figuring out ways to, you know, capitalize on the fact that Justin Jefferson is getting all this attention that's encouraging but it needs to happen more and it needs to happen more quickly even if they did get that running game going and the second thing is I just don't think the defense is close I just don't feel like they know either quite what they should be doing or if the scheme is quite right and you've heard Patrick Peterson after the Eagles game talking about we need to be up a little bit more on these guys we need adjustments but not the right adjustments you heard Eric Kendricks after the Lions game saying I think we do need to pressure the quarterback a little bit more. We need to send more guys sometimes or put a little more heat on them. Like, if you've got some guys that are, I don't know if someone say they're like questioning the scheme yet, but if, if they're still in this feeling out process where they don't quite know either what they should be doing or aren't quite trusting this new way of doing things, the defense is still a pretty big concern to me. And what are they, like 30th in yards per game right now? Like, Pro Football Focus says they're like uh, 
one of the I think they're like eleventh or something in defense. That's not what I see right now. Yeah, defensively, so that's a good point because when you when you look at this defense, you know they try to be that bend but don't break approach, right? Just kind of play some some shell coverages, play deep off the ball, and whether it's Kevin O'Connell or Patrick Peterson or Eric Hendricks, guys have talked about how, well, we can play a little farther up. We don't need to play so far back as they did, especially in that Eagles game. But you saw it in the first half against Detroit, too, where they were still playing off. Like that first drive, you got DJ Chark running. I think it was like a little skinny post where he's picking up 17 yards. Boom, like that, right in front of your, your off safety and corner. It's that kind of stuff where teams know if we go into it, we can find those intermediate levels of the field and just kind of pick and pick and pick. And it comes to mind now, I'm thinking of the 19-yarder to, to A.J. Brown in the Philly game on third and 13, they convert right in that little hole there. It's that kind of stuff where you've got to find that sweet spot. And Kendricks made a point that I think makes a lot of sense. And it was after the Detroit game where he was asked about that off coverage. And he said, look, we haven't played, and I think you and I talked about it on Daily Delivery, where Kendricks had mentioned look, we haven't played that often together. And when we're talking about this zone defense, a lot of it is about trusting and knowing where your teammate is going to be and knowing that if I cheat a little far this way, I know in this coverage my teammate will help me on the back end or something like that, just kind of playing off of each other. And, and he said, we don't have that continuity right now. We're missing that kind of that lack of, you know, we're having that, that lack of trust may be too far of a word for it, but just that instinct, that kind of knowing, that innate ability of knowing, hey, I know Cam Bynum's going to be here or Cameron Dancer's going to be here uh, if I want to make a play and jump this route or be on this ball or play tight on this coverage. So I thought that was interesting. It makes me think that it's not only the coordinators and the play callers who are getting a feel for the players, it's the players getting a feel for each other and, and what's two new playbooks on both sides of the ball. Um because defensively, too, that pass rush, you make a good point about that. To me, when you watch it, I knew going into this year we thought it's going to be Zadarius and Daniil, and basically that's it. You know, you got to hope those two guys get it. But it, it, it's been striking to me in the three games how much it really has been just that. You got DJ Wanham's made a player or two here or there, but there's been just nothing else. Harrison Phillips is giving you nothing on the interior. Dalvin Tomlinson will get you a coverage pressure here or there, but – man, if it's not those two guys dominating up front, what do they have when it comes to the pass rush? Well, and that's just it. And then you think about the thing that we went into the season talking about, which is depth and just kind of wondering like, okay, attrition is just going to be, it happens in the NFL. You you might have more or fewer injuries in the year depending on how this year goes. And maybe some of that is under your control based on how you train, how you kind of give these guys enough rest and recovery time. But at the at the end of the day, there's going to be injuries and how is a team that's pretty top-heavy going to handle that? And we might see that already. We saw that already in Week 2 with Har with Harrison Smith missing the game with a concussion. Now it sounds like he's probably going to be back for this game, but they might be missing Zadarius Smith. If they don't have Zadarius Smith, and that's already like one of the only two guys they're counting on for any consistent pass rush, and the pass rush hasn't been very good anyway, at least in the last two games, Like wh then what? Like then, then you started to talk about, okay, if they're not getting home on the quarterback, the quarterback's got time. You're exposing some of these flaws, and the these there's plenty of time to find a spot in the zone if you've got a lot of time. So it's just it's definitely a, a work in progress. I, I do want to see like how it looks if and when they get a better feel for each other, get a better feel for the scheme. But you know, like I was mentioning to you as we walked away from O'Connell today, like I think a fair question for him at some point is like how how much time do you need to evaluate it? How much time do you say, okay, the players need to still work on this, they're still fine tuning where they need to be, versus when do you then say 
eh, maybe we need a different kind of approach to this to better fit the personnel. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some of the injury updates here. The Vikings practice today without Dalvin Cook or Zadarius Smith. It also looked like CJ Ham was out. Um, we're not going to get the full injury report until later this Wednesday afternoon, the first one of the week for the Vikings. But we know Dalvin's dealing with a separated left shoulder uh, that he's dealt with a lot throughout his NFL career. He's missed time with these kind of shoulder injuries in 2019. And he popped up on the injury report last year with a shoulder issue as well and had some issues in college. I think he had a, a labrum surgery at one point in there. Um, so this is not foreign to him. He spoke today, though, about how this is not a pain management issue as much as being smart about how I get through this thing. And clearly what he means there is that you got a shoulder that keeps popping out of its socket. How do you stop it from continually doing that and, put, and then potentially tearing a labrum, causing even more damage in there? Um you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I do know that that injury can get worse, and that's what the Vikings are trying to prevent. And so Dalvin had said basically that, you know, I'm not going to know until Sunday whether or not uh, I'm going to play. He basically listed himself questionable for this one. Um, Kevin O'Connell said he doesn't necessarily need to practice to play. He can go a whole week without practicing, and they'd still put him out there. But it seems to me like this is more of a, okay, can you withstand getting hit 10, 15 times in a game, and that thing's not going to just, you know – uh, turn into a season ender in terms of an injury on him. Um, I I don't know. I, at this point, I guess I'd be surprised if they put him out there just yeah. because of that re-injury risk and his, and because it's October 2nd when, yeah. when the game kicks well, off. And I would be surprised too, just because how good Alexander Madison looked running the ball and has been a capable backup. Now they've, they've missed him at various points. Like you've seen the difference between those two. Sometimes I think back to that Seattle primetime game where, I think Cook got either hurt in that game or was out of that game, and and there's that fourth and fourth down play, and like Madison, maybe just doesn't make the right read. But you know, there's like a the drop off from Cook to Madison. I've always felt is like a fifteen to twenty percent thing, not a fifty percent thing. Like Madison's pretty good. Like he's not a superstar, but he's pretty good. So there's that, and there's the fact that when Dalvin gets hurt on these plays, this is not the first time he's fumbled on the play that he got hurt. Because I'm sure it's just really painful, and he drops, and then the ball pops out and that's you know there's an injury risk and then there's a game like a game flow risk like that could have been the story of the game against the Lions like not just Dalvin getting hurt but like he fumbles when they're driving to try to cut it to 24-21 like that could have been ball game Detroit takes that goes down makes it 31-14 that's ball game and like they they rally anyway so we kind of forget about that but I think there's that piece of it as well. Yeah, that's an important point on uh, how it continually compounds from being just an injury and losing him to being a critical error there. Yeah, I think back obviously to 2017 when he tore his ACL and fumbled against also Detroit. Um, so Darius Smith, too, did not practice today. He had a compression sleeve on his left knee in the locker room. Um, mums the word on that. Nobody will really talk about what exactly is going on with him, but we will see what they officially list him at on that injury report. But the way Kevin O'Connell was talking about that one, he had mentioned that Zadarius is on the similar timeline as Dalvin. Uh, he said he's a guy who's played a lot of football for us already. It just made it seem like they weren't going to be pushing Zadarius back uh, into he's this. He's played three games for him. He's not played a lot of football for him. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. But am I reading that wrong in that that also seems like one where they would approach that with quite a bit of caution? That was the That was the tone I was getting from O'Connell. And it was, you know... I don't know if that one was more of a surprise because we were 
the the Cook injury was more obvious, right? Like he left the game, he didn't come back in, so it was like, well, what's going to happen this week? And Smith was he? Did he? He didn't leave for good in that game, right? He, he no, played but he some was more. down on the field. Yes, I remember yeah. that. Trainers had to come out there, and it was like there's only five plays left in the game eventually, and so he ended up staying in. And because it was the two minute warning, he didn't have to. That's come right. Out, I remember that. Yeah. Um, because typically that would cause like a timeout situation where an injured player has to leave. Right. But in this case, because it was an official timeout, he didn't have to leave, stays in the game. Um, but afterward went in and got more, like, I don't know if it was an MRI or x-rays or what, but he's, I only caught him in the locker room briefly after the game. And he, he wouldn't say what the injury was, but just said he had to go get further testing on it. Um, so clearly this is something where they wanted to get, you know, obviously get it filled out and see what was going on with him. Um, but it, it was that left knee, left leg area that he kept pointing to. So something's going on with him right now, and obviously with the importance of those guys, yeah, I do not imagine them pushing those guys out there, whether it's Daniil or Zadarius. So we might see just what they have behind um, those two guys, those two pass rushers, uh, come Sunday. And what was Zadarius's problem area with Green Bay in terms of injury? Well, that was his back. Okay, yeah, I, that was, rem- I just couldn't remember. Yeah, that was a weight room injury where he injured his back, um, tried to start out the season because he missed training camp, and then re-aggravated it, had surgery. Uh, last September, and then came back for a playoff game. So unrelated, obviously, but it's still concerning for a guy where you went into the season, you were like, okay, the two guys they're really counting on to be their, you know, their rush, their rush guys in this new three four. Now both of them coming off some, you know, some some seasons where they didn't play very much, and here we might have a case already in week four where one of them's going to miss time. Yeah, already, already missing time. Um, all right, well, let's get to some questions here because we do have quite a bit of them. We could fill out pretty much a good almost half hour with it if we wanted to. Um, I want to because they're good questions. All right. Let me pull them up here. We got questions. Let's start with uh, at low energy Ben. I don't think this is Ben Gessling. I don't think so. He might be low energy after he flies to (laughs) London. He says, uh, should we buy into the early offensive line success? This seems right up your alley, Mike. Yeah, and that kind of goes – we had another one too that's kind of a little expanded thought on that from Grumpy Sicilian. It says, stats stats suggest the O-line is vastly improved. The eye test mostly suggests it too. O'Neal is a beast. Derrissaw is getting there. Guards are solid. Even our malign center is playing okay. Have we finally corrected this? Was it coaching? The plus minus addition of Ingram versus Udo, something else. Thanks. I think it's kind of all of the above, and I kind of do think they're better. I don't think they're like a great line right now, but that's not – I don't look at the game at the end of the day and say, oh, man, the offensive line really cost him, or kind of the opposite. I think you know Kirk's kind of had time to throw. Like It's not always perfect, but it it feels like this is the best offensive line they've had at least since 2017. Yeah, I've been impressed with – I mean, it's not like they've gone against world-beating defensive fronts yet. I know Kenny Clark is, is pretty good, and Philly, Philly's still got some guys. But um, the way Christian Darrisaw held up against Aiden Hutchinson I thought was was really strong. Uh, obviously, the Lions' number two overall pick there on the defensive front. And Hutchinson had three sacks the week before, I think. Yeah, all in the first half. I mean, that was Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz hands those things out, apparently, because I think – who did Washington play this past week? But he was sacked like six more times. Um, uh in terms of the offensive line, yeah, I, I thought the interior has been the focus, right? And um, I found I found it interesting that Bradbury seems to have played a lot better. And, and I think some of that is, you know, when it comes to their protection setups, he is generally getting quite a bit of help on the inside, whether it's from Ingram or Cleveland. Um, and I think Ingram didn't really have a bad game until this past Sunday. 
Um, Cleveland was the one who had a pretty bad game in Philadelphia. Ingram played all right, and then it was kind of flipped this past Sunday. So that's good, right? Because in the past, it would be, okay, you play the winless Atlanta Falcons, you lose at home, and it's all three of your interior guys played awful. Right, that's the thing. And so and now it's like, okay, you just have one guy here or there, have a bad game, get some calls against them or get beat, and it's not so bad. And as, and as long as it's not Bradbury getting solo isolated up front and getting driven backward like we've seen before, they found ways to avoid that in terms of the schematics, the X's and O's of their pass sets, which I think is really good. And it really helps when you've got the two outside guys and you can say, you know what? Dalvin or Alexander Madison or whoever, our extra pass pro is going to be focused in front of Kirk. And we've seen a lot of that. Where last year when Rashad Hill was starting at left tackle, they couldn't do that. You had to have your pass pro sliding to the left side to help him extra. And then you had to have your running back shifting to the right because that's how the, the pass set works. And then all of a sudden the middle is getting blown up. And it, it seems like they've got more of like reliability about, okay, we know we've got X, Y, and Z we're strong at now in pass pro. Here's how we can truly focus on our weaknesses. Um, where in the past there were just too many weaknesses, and 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 I think I think that some of the credit goes to Cleveland and Bradbury for kind of continuing to get better in their third and fourth years. I think they have taken some steps. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think it probably helped too that they, you know, a little bit against Green Bay, but especially in the the game against Detroit, they get the running game going, and that then you're just not sitting back on your heels and having to pass protect all the time then you're kind of taking it to the other team you're kind of feeling like you're getting into more of a rhythm you always hear offensive linemen talking about that. like they'd rather run block a hundred times before they pass block right because then it's you're, you're the one that's like dictating the tempo and dictating the you know whatever the physicality is when you're pass blocking you're just you know you do have some of that but you're mostly just you're playing but defense. it's passive. you're playing you're playing defense yeah it's passive that's how they talk yeah it's all i'm gonna talk a lot about is, is run blocking is active pass blocking is passive i would much rather be forcing the issue than sitting there and catching guys basically which is what that pass protection stuff is and when when john de filippo was running this offense in 2018 that's how brian o'neill kind of described their jobs at times was we would drop back 50 60 times a game and just catch people i'd be catching khalil mack and just trying to get run over slowly because we weren't <laughs> doing any play actions we weren't doing any moving pockets we were just kind of sitting there and having kirk stand in the same exact spot and and i think we're seeing the movement stuff as well with this offense where they are getting kirk out look at sunday's game they open up with back-to-back runs play action bootleg to ellison the tight end it felt like we were watching a kubiak offense. it did it really did right out of the gate there but then they get back into the shotgun stuff and start doing more motions and shifts and so i think is it'll be interesting to see how much they can open their their kind of repertoire and playbook a little bit and get to and activate those kinds of different things as Kevin O'Connell likes to say yes. um and and get to those different things and and not get stuck in some plans like they may be here early on in the Kevin O'Connell era. Yeah, I agree with that. Um let's see some other good ones here. Jared not happy with the defense at J Ludobvi. Okay. Um Jared Ludeman, the Vikings have given up the third most yards per game, 413.3 after three games. This defense lacks pressure, and the secondary has been pitiful. Why didn't Donatel adjust the scheme against Philadelphia or Detroit? And there's the adjustment word that you <laughs> you and I like to, to banter, banter about and bandy around, like adjustments may be overrated. But I think that he's... He he's not wrong about some frustration and lacking pressure. I think our colleague Mark Craig wrote about that in 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 Wednesday's paper, Thursday's paper, one of those two about just how they didn't get much pressure on Jared Goff and there wasn't a whole lot of blitzing or a whole lot of like additional stuff they were trying to throw at 
a pretty stationary quarterback who doesn't have a whole lot of offensive line help. They had some injuries there, stuff like that. I know they've got some good players, but like I think they're onto something there with, with wanting to see more pressure and, and how the how that's impacting things right now. Yeah, the Vikings have one of the lowest blitz rates in the league through three weeks. I know going into that game on Sunday, it was like second lowest. I don't know what it is now. but Low blitz rate, high zone rate, it's like they – they kind of are what they are it at this is point. So different it's from predictable too. It's so different from Mike Zimmer. You know, Zimmer was over the last two years. He became more of a you know sit back and play some shell coverages because they had to because their corners were bad. But Zimmer would do so much at the line and load those fronts and be really aggressive up front at the line. And even on third and like five or third and eight or ten or whatever, you're still seeing the Vikings play off, play back. Um, their blitz looks are still coming from that off or back look where you're seeing Chandon Sullivan blitz every now and then from the slot, but it'll be him standing 15 yards away and not moving until the ball is snapped. It's none of this shifting at the line, some guys coming up, some guys coming back. Um, Just not a lot of diversity, I guess. It doesn't look like in those pressure schemes. So I do wonder how much of that, again, is guys new to it, new to each other. But these are also veteran players. It shouldn't be that new to them to pick up some of that stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. You're not playing your rookies on defense. You're playing your no. veterans. So yeah, which why is another point of contention yes. probably? Like, so where's like Lewis seen? And with Kendricks <laughs> and Hicks, and well, I'm, I'm talking just the front seven in terms yeah, of the pressure. Right. Like, why aren't you divvying that up more? And and we do see Zedarius rove around on the inside a little bit. Daniel rushed the inside sometimes, and that just hasn't really worked to fruition yet. And they threw Wanham in a couple times with those guys, I think. So there's some of that, but not not enough for my taste. No, and we saw so much more in training camp. And that's typical, but they're not even, it seems like, cracking a little bit of that playbook when it comes to what we've seen so far. So I, I'm not too sure. The coverage stuff, though, the secondary, we've talked about it. But even players uh, express that sentiment of Patrick Peterson. You'll see him, if you watch, rewatch some of the plays, he'll play coverages differently than the guy across from him. And sometimes maybe that's how it's schemed up. But sometimes it looks like a veteran's just saying, no, I'm going to play a little closer than coaches telling the young kid way over there. Um, Because, yeah, they'll be 9, 10, 12 yards off the ball at corner. And so, well, that's just easy for a five-yard hook route. Catch that. And, okay, I'll pick up four more yards after the catch. Thank you. So, I just think over time they're going to learn and, and maybe Donatel will adjust that a little bit because otherwise teams are just going to kind of keep picking you apart underneath. I don't know what else you do. I agree. Here's another one from uh, another from Nick27. Who are your offensive and defensive MVPs so far? I think that's an interesting question. I mean, it's very early. We're not giving out MVP after three games, but I could not think of who I would pick as an offensive MVP because it's been a lot of like weird – hit or miss games it's like nobody's had nobody's had three great games unless we're talking about like brian o'neill maybe i was gonna say you'd almost have to um parse it into okay who's most responsible for their two wins and then you're at least responsible for their one loss yeah yeah yeah. and it's like i want to pick kirk for the offensive mvp but that's just because of how he's played in the two wins yeah but he was also bad directly responsible for why they lost right and how they lost in philadelphia 24 7 so I can't pick him. Yeah, you'd have to pick, like, yeah, O'Neal. Is it Brian O'Neal? I mean, like, <laughs> Justin Jefferson would have been obvious after week one, but he's been kind of shut down. Like, Adam Thielen, no. Like, Irv Smith, no. Um, you know, K.J. Osborne's been fine, but he's not an MVP. Like, Dalvin Cook has been pretty good, but he's, you know, he's hurt now. He fumbled. He didn't really get it going. I, I think it might be 
Maybe it's Brian O'Neill because he's been pretty clean. Yeah, I, I think it'd have to be him. And defensively, that's that's also kind of tough right now because we just talked about a group that's giving up 400 yards. We sure are. Um, you know, but I, I would say that I think the two linebackers have that's played. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Fairly well, I guess, especially in coverage, which is where they're that's their calling card for both of them and where they both stick out. The run game, eh, it's been kind of hit or miss. I think you saw times where Detroit was able to spring some runs on them. Um, by just single blocking their defensive linemen and then getting uh, their their linemen up on the linebackers pretty easily in that game, which you don't want to see. So, but coverage wise, those guys were great. Um, Kendricks made a fourth down stop. Yeah, on that was Hawkinson. a big one. Hicks right before halftime made a stop that forced them off the field. The Lions' offense off the field as well. So yeah, I think those guys, I guess, would maybe be the MVP for yeah, me. Yeah, I think the co MVPs in the, of the of the defense are Kendricks and Hicks. I think that's. That was that was where my answer was going to head as well. Um, but yeah, uh, it, w- it would have to be the offensive lineman for, for as, as expected, <laughs> as it always is with the Vikings. As I've always been telling you guys, don't worry about the offensive line. <laughs> um, all right, Mike wants to know. Mike Brown wants to know what's up with Lewis Seen. It's a good question because what I mean, he's again, he's three weeks into his NFL career as a as a player, but he's been you know I think. It was interesting to hear O'Connell talk about scene because he got a question for, about scene today and kind of talked about his dynamic contributions to special teams, which is like a consolation prize, like a third runner-up trophy. I don't know. It it it, it didn't strike me as like a like Lewis Seen is right on the cusp of doing some big things. So I don't know what's up with him. If Josh Metellus is going to play over him, and maybe it's just a trust thing at this point, but it's not like Josh Metellus is a guy who's played a lot already. So that. That's a little bit of a uh, – where, where is Lewis Seen in his progression right now? Yeah, I think it's important to remember Lewis Seen missed time. Uh, he obviously had the three weeks with the knee contusion that he suffered against the Niners uh, in that preseason game, but he also missed time before that. Um, I'm trying to remember the injury he had, but he had something pop up early on in early August. Um, point being, whenever you ask to people on the record or off the record, behind the scenes, teammates, coaches, like that's what everybody keeps pointing to is the time he missed – and that the the kind of uh, hunch I've been getting is that everything can be fine in the classroom with him, but then when you go out onto the field, it's been a little bit different. Uh, he hasn't been as uh, assignment sound, as they like to say. Um, Which probably goes to what O'Connell was saying about trust during his answer yeah, today about him. Yep. Yeah, and so Josh Metellus, a lot of fans will be like, who? But if you've been paying attention, he's a guy who he's now in his third year. He was a late-round pick a few years ago. Um but he's been kind of showing up on special teams and made some plays in the preseason for them as well. And really was kind of all over the field in training camp at times, um, along with Cam Bynum. So it's funny that they spend the first round pick on the safety. And then two guys that you really didn't think too much of maybe six months ago have been showing up for them. And I'm not saying Metellus is going to be a starter in this league, but he gives them that reliability that coaches just crave so much when it comes to young players and, and building that trust and having that. So I talked to seeing the one-on-one last Friday in the locker room, and he was kind of candid about saying, like, I need to be careful about how I talk to myself in these moments because it's frustrating to go through this kind of stuff. And this is a kid who was a star on a, a national champion Georgia Bulldogs team. That was one of the best defenses in the nation. And he's having to get used to just being a special teams player. You know, so personally, he's going through some stuff and trying to get used to this. And he's also trying to understand how to study film in the NFL, like all these things that rookies go through. Um, 
I think it's a big learning curve for him right now. And I think the missed three weeks, three weeks of missed time leading up to the week one was a big, a big part of it for him. Um, cause I don't think he ever got to really feel comfortable in camp cause he was just kind of in and out so much. And from what I've heard from behind the scenes, yeah, it's just been on the practice field. We have not seen the same consistency, um, that he might show that same recall, that great recall in the meeting rooms. We're just not seeing it when it comes to, for, to practice. So, um, it just, it's that trust factor for him. And so Ed Donatel said a couple of weeks ago, um, I don't know if it was a slip or if he meant to say this, but he said, um, all rookies will be playing catch up. I don't care what the situation is. And he goes until they start next year. And it made me think like, do they already have like big visions of like, we don't even want to start in this year. Uh, that was pretty interesting to the me. The Mike Zimmer program where it's, everybody gets yeah. a red shirt, basically, even, well, the, even the like Trey Waynes or somebody like that. And Cam Bynum has given you very little reason to pull him, right? Like he wasn't Yeah, Bynum's at, he, good. Yeah, he wasn't at fault for the 53-yarder to Watkins in Philadelphia. That was the biggest play on this defense so far this year. Um, that was Cameron Dantzler. Um, if, if there's been any rookie that you've been like looking at being like, come on, we need you, it's Andrew Booth. Yes. It's the corner who, if he were healthy and available all camp and up to speed – I would probably think that Cam Dancer would be benched by now already. I, I don't yeah. know. I mean, that's Cam Dancer had a pretty bad game last Sunday. This is coming off of the game in Philly where I said he got beat by that uh, that Watkins touchdown. Uh, Dancer's just so up and down, and it's his third year now, I think, and it's the same story. So um, I think if there's any rookie the Vikings coaching staff is probably looking at and waiting on, it's probably Andrew Booth. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, scene two, I think final point on that is just – He's always going to be – any first-round pick is always going to be, like, judged a certain way and judged differently, especially someone who's involved in a trade. Like, they traded down 20 spots and then took Lewis Seen. It's like everyone's like, that better be worth it because you just gave up a lot of draft capital. This guy better be as good as you hope he is. And if he's not, then that's uh, – that's a lot of uh, a lot of wasted opportunity. Yeah, you bypass some talented players there. Um, although I don't think many of them have shown up yet. Obviously, Jamison Williams, who the Lions traded up for, is still coming off that knee injury. Kyle Hamilton, the Ravens' safety. I don't think there's been too many rave reviews about him at this point, but uh, we shall see. All right, we got we got any more questions here? Yeah, we got a few more good ones. Um, let's see. Okay, I've got a good one for Dalvin Cook. I'm going to save that in a minute. We kind of touched on the pressure from Hunter and Zadarius, wondering where that's been. Um, I got one question that was just funny. Somebody asked, is Cooper Rush just good? Of course, the Vikings saw Cooper Rush, yeah. the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, in his first start last year. when he uh, and, and now he's uh, balling out for the Detroit, or Dallas Cowboys again. Yeah, I'm... We made Cooper Rush jokes last year, but now he can't <laughs> lose. And, you know, he's not like he's winning these games by a lot, and it's not like they're putting up a ton of points. But um, they're, as much as QB wins gets, you know, derisively referred to from time to time, a quarterback that plays well enough to win, especially in this NFL where it's so many weird things happen and it is kind of those three to five plays a lot that, that do that, I think it is – I think there maybe is something, uh, maybe there is something to that. But um, I got a good one from Dan here that I wanted to get to. It said, at the beginning of the year, I told a buddy the Vikings could go 12-5 and five or 5-12. Five and 12. After three weeks, I still have no idea which it might be. Any idea when we'll have a better chance of knowing? Wow. Um, <laughs> see, I would go more 10-7, and seven, but 7-10, seven and 10, but that's the same premise. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think when we get through the stretch 
out of the bye, where it's at home against Arizona, on the road against Washington, on the road against Buffalo, and at home against Dallas. I think that's can be a pretty defining stretch um, because you're then facing a few presumably playoff caliber teams, Buffalo, Arizona, maybe Dallas. Um, maybe Arizona. Yeah, that, Bill, that Bills game is going to be really interesting, right? Because you just saw it as a huge litmus test for Miami, where Miami shows now that, hey, they can be a contender even if it is in 1,000-degree temperatures in Miami. They can win a game when they punt a ball off a guy's butt. And they can win a game when they punt a, guy, punt a ball off a guy's butt and play on the surface of the sun. More on that on Daily Delivery on Friday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for the Vikings, all the same. You know, We'll know if, if that defense can contend with a Super Bowl-caliber offense in Buffalo. We'll know... Uh, if this offense can go toe to toe with with the same too, um, so I would I would think you know by that halfway point we should know what direction this team is headed. I don't see them being at a point where, like let's say, let's say the wheels fall off. Like let's say yeah you know all those bad things we were talking about the narrative that was heading that way with the Lions game, if if it falls apart here and they end up losing to the Saints and then Miami. Um, I just don't envision this team being the kind that's going to put itself back together. Like if they don't have it right out of the gate, I just don't think they have it. Yeah. I think there's like a, there's like a couple things that are kind of competing here because one, like I think this is a team that probably should get a little bit better because they, they are learning all these new things. And if they, if what O'Connell says is true and we have taken about his word, like as they get more comfortable, as they get more familiar, this is just going to look better. They're going to look more cohesive on offense and defense. At the same time, it's kind of weird because I feel like they could get to four and one and still not play that great because I just don't feel like the Saints are all that good. I know the Bears aren't very good. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point in that they can kind of struggle through, continue to struggle through. Tweet and through it. They can tweet through it. <laughs> yeah, kind of tweet through it. Um, I, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. So they, they could end up, but then they could just fall apart when they do face better teams. So we don't know who Arizona is at this point. At least I don't. I think you know Buffalo's good, but the Patriots don't seem that great, which they play out of that Dallas game. And then after that, it's Jets-Giants. Like, this schedule, you are going to get to some cupcake portions of it, I think. Your undefeated Giants? Your undefeated Giants. No, they're 2-1 and one now. Oh, they're 2-1. They, 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 right. they lost to Dallas. That's right. They were, <laughs> they were undefeated. Had a chance to be the uh, third 3-0 and o team, but but fell. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird schedule. We, I don't think we still – I don't think there's a lot of great teams in the league this year. I don't know if we're going to know if, if what the schedule even really looks like. I mean, Buffalo could – have some problems this year we'll see I, I don't know there's there's not a lot of great teams but I think we're going to have a hard time getting a, a true read on this team and they might just be what their record is at the end of the year because that's kind of the NFL now right it's like you can think you're good you can think you're bad you kind of are as uh, Bill Parcells and his uh, mentee Mike Zimmer <laughs> like to say you kind of are what your record says you are um is this uh, the question about cook is it from lee that you wanted to get yeah to? let's do that one and maybe we finish up with that one yeah he says is there a possibility that it would be wise to keep alexander madison who was a free agent after this year and release or trade dalvin cook next year because of his injuries well this question did cause me to look up dalvin cook's contract situation it would have been unwise to cut him this year because that would have been 17 million in dead cap money um after this year, though, the dead cap goes down to six, um, at least according to uh, to spot track. So, you know, that's at least leaves open the possibility. And like we've talked about plenty of times, like we don't know quite yet how much Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Kevin O'Connell value the running back position if they think of it the same way that Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer did in terms of we're just going to pay this guy because we think he's elite. Um, you know, as Dalvin gets a little bit older, as the injuries, you know, again, like this year, continue to be a factor in his game 
Um, maybe that is a good idea at some point. You got to save money somewhere. There's a lot of money on the books already for next year, and if you can save, you know, eight or nine million on the cap by by cutting Dalvin Cook, um, that might be something you consider, especially with the depth they have there. Yeah, I absolutely think my guess is that Quasi Adolfo Mensa, you know, if he says advanced forward thinking numbers guru as his background suggests, he understands that running back contracts are just not worth um as much as you have to pay for them in terms of that top tier stuff. So I think moving on from Dalvin is probably the prudent move for this front office after this year. It's one that, as you mentioned with the contract structure, you can do it and it frees up a lot of money next year. I don't think, though, that signing Alexander Madison is the corresponding move with that because if they're going to do anything in terms of getting value at that position, it's not then removing the value that you would just gain for four years by having Alexander on a rookie contract, by then giving him all the money that he deserves on his first veteran contract. Let somebody else do that. Let somebody else reward Alexander. If you're going to be the prudent front office that – seeks value at every dollar mark, every cent mark against the cap. You need to be the team that then just rolls running backs, rolls third, fourth, fifth, sixth round picks through here at that position. Keep bringing in the Ty Chandlers, keep bringing in the Madisons, and just keep having them on rookie deals. And move on from Madison too. Let let Kenny Wongwu, Ty Chandler, and whoever else you bring in next year uh, battle it out for that running game spot. Because we saw in the preseason, Ty Chandler can be a guy maybe. We know Kenny's got the speed. Um, I just think those running backs are a dime a dozen. And I know Cook, like you said, 15, 20% better than Alexander. But is that worth $10 million more than you would pay Great question. a yeah. guy? I, I don't think it is. I don't think it is either. And it, we, the only reason it's even probably a, a bigger question than it could be is, is Cook's been good. And it would just be so much different than things have been here for the last 15 years because they rolled straight from Adrian Peterson into Dalvin Cook. And those two guys, I mean, Peterson was like a Hall of Famer, and Dalvin Cook is a you know top five, top ten running back. Like It's nice to have that luxury, but at a certain point, how much are you willing to pay for it? And, yeah, and, and I guess maybe they do the metrics differently if – all of a sudden, they're not accounting for Kirk Cousins on it. You know, if you're not paying a quarterback, mm. better, you know, if they find mm. a way to move on Interesting, from, Andrew. from him, maybe that, you know, if you can free up that money elsewhere, maybe you can all of a sudden afford a veteran running back. I just don't see why you would do it when you're currently structuring all this money at quarterback the way that they are. So. I agree, but I think a lot of it has to do with how the rest of this year plays out, and we're only three out of 17 in already. That's true. That's true. So we will check in with you. That'll be it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. We will check in with you guys on Sunday. Ben is in London. He will be at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, I will connect with him via Zoom to talk about how they fared against the Saints. And then please check out all of our work at startribune.com. Yeah, do what my, my wife tries to tell me sometimes and say less, so I'll say less. <laughs>